I want to try to teach you truth today because church is for, you know, the Bible is not for the world. You know that, right? The Bible is not for the world. The Bible is for the believer. We are for the world. We're called the light of the world. He didn't call the Bible the light of the world. He said, you're the light of the world. You read my word, which is for you, and then you do what it says, obey me, and then go tell them about me. The world's not going to read the Bible. We don't expect them to read the Bible. They're not going to read it. But they're going to read you. They will read you. And so you need to read the book. Get in the book. Find out what God wants you to do. It'll give you power. It'll lighten your face. Paul Carr came in on Gospel Baptist, and he was outside of God and got saved, got right or whatever, and, and uh, started reading the book. And he showed me how he read it. He read it diligently through every year, more than one time a year at his house. And his face changed. I'm telling you, his face changed. His countenance changed. His his, his expressions changed. The way, he, the way he conducted himself changed. That's what being born again will do for you. And it changes you to the light. And so he got to go home. And he's glad. He's probably praying for us this morning, maybe. I don't know what, if they know what day it is, but I know they know we're not there. And so I'm still here. But I want to teach you how to have to choose the easier Christian life. Because you can live the Christian life the hard way, or you can live it the easy way. Which way you want to live it? As a born-again Christian, you can live it the hard way, and some of you may be. Or you can live it what I would call the easier Christian life. Living for Jesus can be hard. It can overwhelm you with discouragement after you get saved a while. Often people think when they get saved, you know, the burden of sin and that weight of guilt comes off your shoulders. You feel light. You get a little, you get a little, um, you, you get euphoric, you know, your endorphins start going or something, and you just get, woo, you call it the initial happiness of being saved. People go around and tell everybody about Jesus. Man, I used to be lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The old guilt's gone. The sleepless nights are gone. I got a clear conscience. Now I'm saved. My, my sins are under the blood of Jesus. I don't have a fear of death anymore. Uh, whoa, everything's going to be downhill from here. No. The problem is shortly after this initial honeymoon comes the storms of conflict. The resistance begins. The flesh begins to tell the new Christian uh, fake news. The flesh is CNN. You don't like that. Oh, there's a lot more stuff I'm going to say you're not going to like. But you need to stay here and listen to it. Fake news. Fake news everywhere. Don't know what the internet's full of fake news. People sent me stuff on, on the internet. 
I saw it 10 years ago, and I said, man, that ain't true. That's a fault. you got to check your story out, brother. That's just not so. People are, they like fooling you. They get a joy uh, out of trying to fool us into believing something that's not true. But the old flesh will do the same thing. You get saved, you know, and the old flesh starts on you, giving you false information. In fact, it starts a campaign of disinformation. The old man, the old flesh, starts a campaign of disinformation. And if you're not careful to get grounded in the Word of God or get under some experienced Christian and find a fundamental Bible-believing, Bible-practicing church where they preach the old King James Bible and believe it and try to do it and sing the old hymns of the faith, and you get up under those folks and you follow on, and God will help offset that, that disinformation campaign that's been going on. Because this disinformation will change your philosophy of life and damage you if you're not careful because it's not true. It took me a few years as an early Christian to realize this and to realize that there was an easier way to live. I was struggling in early on in my Christian life. I was struggling. Well, let's read, let's read what the Bible says about this and then try to apply some of the truth. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 11 through 14, years ago, memorized uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, Brother Tom Cronin memorized it with me and a couple other folks. Cronin was having trouble sleeping at that time. He started, before he went to bed, he'd quote 23 verses of the chapter. That's the whole chapter. And he said, by the time I got to verse 23, I was asleep. Not a bad, it's much better than Valium. Likewise, reckon ye, I want you to underline the word reckon ye. I'm going to ask you to underline or highlight a few things. You will or will not, whatever, but I'm going to give it to you. Likewise, reckon ye, if you'd underline those two words, reckon ye also yourselves, dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not, underline the two words, let not. Sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye, underline that word yield ye, those two words, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield, underline that word yield, yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And this is the crowning closer. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. That's about as simplistically clear as you're going to be able to say it. What does it mean to be dead indeed unto sin? We're to count ourselves, or to reckon ourselves, or to yield ourselves as dead unto sin. It is simply just an easier way to live the Christian life. Let me, let me cap, put in a little capsule form what happens to you when you get saved. You get saved, you obtain a new nature. When you come and you hear that you're a sinner, unable to save yourself, and that you hear that Jesus Christ came for you, took upon himself all your sin, satisfied the justice of God on that old rugged cross, bled, and his blood atoned for what you've done in this life, and satisfied God, and, and, and God sealed that whole thing by the resurrection. If you will believe that, that, that uh, little phrase, that those things I just said called the gospel, if you believe that to be true and say, Jesus, I want to be saved too, Jesus will save you. Now, when he saves you, it's not just um, philosophical salvation. It's, it's not an intellectual salvation. Uh, though it may start in the mind, it goes to the heart. And from the heart, God does some miraculous 
birth thing called the new birth or being born again. John chapter 3, you can verify that. Look further on it. So you're born again. Well, what is that whole born again thing? That's when God gives you the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's job? Testify of Jesus. To teach you. To comfort you. There's a lot of things he does. But he teaches you. He comforts you. He, he helps you. He tells you not to sin. To stay away from sin. And if you sin, he, he convicts you. And he causes you to say, how many have sinned? And you've got, there's just like a twist in you. Something, something's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit. So, when God did this, he didn't take away the old man. Now, I say the old man, which is a biblical term. Uh, that's the old nature to sin. He added to the old man the new man. And that's, that's uh, spoken of pretty, pretty uh, clearly here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. In Galatians 5, 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth, that has a passionate desire against the spirit. And the spirit has a passionate desire against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you wonder why you can't do the, the things of God sometimes or don't do the things of God sometimes, it's because you have an enemy within, and it's called the old man. And anybody that's been saved very long knows this struggle between the new man and the old man. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 24 says it this way, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or manner of life, that the old man, there's the phrase, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. Now that's the phrase right out of, out of Ephesians there, uh, defining that we have a new man and an old man. And brother, how many here would raise their hand and say, I got a new man, old man? I mean, that's just keeping you moving. There's a war between these two forces. I feel it. Man, the song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Boy, that's, that's the old man. I feel it. I feel the struggle. It's like two children in the womb, though I've never felt that. If you had twins, I think it was the Bauer, uh, Brother Bauer's wife, Brother Gordon's uh, daughter, had two, two children, and I... I think the total weight was 18 pounds. Take that, girls. Trust me when I tell you on that, she felt those two twins in the womb. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit and, and, and the old nature are doing right now. They're wrestling. The Bible says we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. But we don't, brother. Not only do we have that struggle going on within us, but we got the devil outside of us. We got the world outside of us. So we got the flesh the devil, and the world. We wrestle against that, tri that triad of power. But guess what? He that is within us is greater than he that's within the world. Though I may have the old man in me and the devil outside of me and the world outside of me all trying to get me to do the wrong thing, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, which is God manifest the flesh. He's in me. It's God. He's testifying of the right things to do. But let me tell you, it can be a horrible struggle. It can be miserable. You can be a, a miserable Christian, especially if you have little knowledge of the Bible, of that are, are, which is our instruction book, a survival book. We often don't seek help when we first get saved. We, we actually think we can solve this battle through a will. Now, here's the key right here. We think we can will it. I'm going to will myself not to smoke. I'm going to will myself not to drink. I'm going to will myself not to lust. I'm going to will myself not to covet. I'm going to will myself not to get angry. I'm going to will myself not to have fear. 
Doesn't work too well. Doesn't work too well. We think we can just put more, when we get beat, we just think we need to throw a little more effort behind this. Uh, we, but you know the trouble is? We underestimate our enemy. We underestimate his power. We begin in our Christian experience a cycle of failure. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of this, but if you've been saved very long, you understand the cycle of failure. Uh, I'm, I just flat get disgusted with myself. How about you? Somebody say, man, I'm going to feel mighty lonely. At least Larson said, I know it's true with him. This cycle of, 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 of failure discourages us. One of the main reasons people, Christians, go around, oh, gloom, despair, agony on me, dark, deep, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If I had no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Doom, despair, agony on me. What's funny, barrels will come up and say, man, well, did, you, did you write that song? <laughs> you never heard that before. There's this real war going on within us, a cycle of failure, oftentimes because we rely on our will, we rely on our ability just to decide to not make it happen. Uh, but this cycle, let me say, let me give you a truth. This cycle of failure is part of the solution. I don't know how many of you started riding a bicycle, but when I started riding a bicycle, I fell off a few times. I told the story about teaching Troy to ride a bicycle. I don't think you remember that. I think you were too young or you blotted it out of your mind so you don't have bitterness towards your dad. <laughs> I don't blame you on that. <laughs> but I, 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 I thought, I, I mean, I, I just riding a bicycle, but you got to fall off a few times. But when I fall, every time you fall off, you get on a little better. Every time you, every time you fall off, you get on a little wiser. Every time you fall off, you get on a little bit more keen to the fact that this could be. And so what happens is it throws you. As a born-again Christian, this cycle of failure begins in our, in our, and when we try to outwill it, we realize that's not going to work. We try to outthink it. That's not going to work. We try to read our Bible some more. That ain't work. I go to church more often. I don't work. Maybe I do this more often. But that cycle of failure brings you to the end of yourself. And this is the key word, yourself. And you finally realize that you have to die to the flesh. That's what that verse means. Reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin. <clears throat> Reckon means to count it that way. I finally say, God, I can't win this battle. He says, you can win it, but you got to you got to reckon yourself. This comes really, by the way, daily, daily. You get up in the morning, and I reckon myself dead to my flesh, which is sin. I die to it. And so this process of failure teaches me that I can't do it without God. I got to have God. And so I die to myself so that God can fill me. Now, here's the way it is. The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. He can't fill you because you're occupying your, you're, you're so full of yourself. He can't get in. So you die to yourself, which makes a vacuum for the Holy Spirit to inhabit. 
Are you following me? We cannot successfully live the Christian life the way God wants us to in the power of the will or the power of the flesh. Oh, man, no. But we can live it if we die and reckon ourselves dead indeed under sin, but alive under God. I'll explain it. So we realize that we must completely die to our old man and his lusts. And I mean die. I mean ceremonially die. I mean internally die. I mean die to this world and all that offers. Oh, here we go. Now, as a young person, this is a little harder sometimes than some of these old people who already live their lives. But if it's a young person, you've got most of your life in front of you, at least you think you do. And so you say, well, yeah, but i got all these, I got a lot of things I want to do in this world. Really, the only way you're going to be happy as a born-again Christian is if you do God's way. You do it God's way in this world. So we got to die to the world and its plans. we got to die to our dreams. Everywhere the media is saying, live your dream, pursue your dream, do your dream. That is right out of hell. As a born-again believer, that's anathema. That is horror. You will be the most miserable Christian ever walked the planet if you try to fulfill your dreams as a born-again Christian. Because when I got saved, I am bought with a price. I'm not my own. Therefore, I glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are His, which are Christ's. So now, it's not about me. Ooh, that's a good sermon title. It, it, I, I die to my dreams. I, tried, I die to my way. I die to my paths. I die to my rights. I die to my expectations. I died to the life I have potentially in this world. And what happens to me? That creates a vacuum. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will say, ooh, you died to all of that. Now I'll come in and give you a new world. I'll give you new dreams. I'll give you a new way. I'll give you a new path. I'll give you, uh, I'll let let your, your rights be God's rights. I'll let your expectations be God's expectations. And following all of that is peace. Like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, God Almighty will let you have peace that the world would do anything they could. They'd give everything. They'd sign over everything. If you told them they could have the peace that passes all understanding because they do not have peace. If they don't have anything, brother, one thing I know they don't have is peace. The world and their people are restless. So God gives us a new vision. He redefines our life. We quit counting this cheap temporal stuff as valuable. We start counting eternally valuable things. It's the easiest way. It's the easiest way. By the way, that's the only time God can ever trust you with anything. Ooh, the double reverse here. Oftentimes, when you die to this world and die to your dreams and die to all that, he'll then trust you with a bunch of stuff. There's nothing wrong with having a bunch of this world stuff or, or, or making maybe a lot of money if you got this down. If what you're doing is for God, if the big picture, 
The overall umbrella is all about God. I'm going to use my motorcycle for God. I'm going to use my, my finances for God. I'm going to use my, my position for God. I'm going to use uh, your fame or whatever for God. Whatever God gives you in this world, you now, it isn't yours. It's his. See, that's different than the other scenario. When it's yours, and you're using it to heap upon yourself. And that's why you can't do it. If you do not do this as a born-again Christian, if there's not a time in your life that you've done this and are not doing it on a regular basis, the battle in your life will rage. Defeat will be eventually your companion. If you die to your life, your sin, the sins of this world, your dreams and the temporal stuff, you'll find a refreshing joy. This is simply the easiest way to live the Christian life. It'll be, it'll be deeper, better, lasting, satisfying. Now, don't get me wrong. It will not be without trouble. It will not be without challenges. It will not be without setbacks. It will not be without resistance. It will not be without opposition. Uh, it will not be without struggles, but it will be the easiest way to live the Christian life. And you know what the underlying thought of all it will be? God's going to win. If God be for us, who can be against us? God's going to win. God is the game. He is the game. And so... He will see you through. He'll, he'll make your life count for something that has some quality. Ooh. He'll make your life count for something that's real. He'll give you a new set of goals, a new set of challenges. Uh, I, bet, I bet Nick Carbon before he came to gospel the first time, he would never have envisioned or even dreamed or even, even got on, as he says, in his radar, the bus ministry. But if you could reverse all of that, let's say that you hadn't come to gospel. Let's say that you were still out there as a builder. Let's say that you'd amassed a bunch of wealth, but you hadn't brought one kid to Jesus all that time. What would be the difference in the way you felt this morning? See, what you do for Jesus can't be taken away. He says, listen, uh, now most of you, many of you have safes. You have safes at home. You have safe deposit boxes. You have valuable things that you don't want anybody else to have. He said, beware that you don't lay up for yourselves riches of this world where the thieves can come and the moths will come and the rust will come and, and eventually take it away. And then when you die, you leave it to kids that really don't have any room for it anyway. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Amen, amen. Where moth doesn't get in there, rust doesn't bother it, thieves don't come in and take it. It's really safe. You know, somebody can be at my house right now with a U-Haul van, a four-wheel drive, and a chain, and they can rip my safe right out of the room, drag it down. You know, one time I saw on, on YouTube, uh, one of them ATM machines, somebody put a chain around it on the back of a four-wheel drive and just ripped it right out of the wall and took it. It was running down the street with the sparks flying this ATM machine. Did they think they were going to get away with that? That's like the def definition of stupid. They left a little trail. My wife and I, as many of you know, uh, I've said a few times already in prayer meeting in Sunday school that we went to the Hearst Castle. Hearst Castle is north of L.A. on a place where the land kind of comes to a pinnacle and 
Hearst Castle on top of the mountain, and from the Hearst Castle, from his balcony, his bedroom balcony and their balcony, man, you can see from horizon to horizon. I don't know if you've ever been out to the Pacific Coast, some of the most beautiful coasts in the United States. Uh, Prince Edward Island, that area is also pretty. But this, this is unbelievable, unmatched really, is that coast out there. And so this, this guy, Hearst, I didn't know. My wife, she wants to go to those places. And just to show you how good a husband I am, we went. That was on the bottom of the addendum of my list. In other words, I never wanted to go there. I didn't want to go to Hearst Castle. I never wanted to go to Hearst Castle. I don't care about Hearst. I don't know Hearst. I don't want to know him. He's dead. He was a newspaper tycoon in the 1900s, early 90s. Anyway, he was a lot. He was a rich guy. So he built this castle. It's plush. It's large. It's unfinished. It took 26 years of building. It's still unfinished. He had a private zoo. In the morning, he'd get up here and hear lions roaring. He has zebras, lions, uh, all kinds of African animals there. It was one of the largest zoos in California for a while. It's not any longer. Um, he had a massive pools. His pools, wow. I've seen some fancy pools, but this old boy had a fancy pool. He had a pool downstairs outside. I never saw the Shangri-La, but it'd have to be like that. Ay, ay, ay. He had an insight, and he had a pool in the front. Unbelievable. I think they're spending, the state of, of California is spending $5 million just to rebuild it, the front pool. $5 million. And the back pool, it needs to be rebuilt. But, I mean, even in its decay, unbelievably, it still holds water. I didn't take a dive in it because I thought they'd arrest me, throw me in jail. I don't want to be in jail in California. But man, we got up there. Every room you go into, this is a 14th century this. This is a 15th century this. This is this. This is that. This is that. This is do, da do, da do, da do. I mean, he's got money hanging everywhere in that place. Everywhere they went was money and lavish from Europe. And everybody thinks things from Europe are like really big deal. I don't even like Europe. My family didn't like it so much they came from Europe. You don't leave a place you like. But anyway, everything's old over there. So he puts all this old stuff around, and, and they say, ooh, that's really, ooh, that's valuable. Oh, you know, I got appreciation for art. And uh, he gets over there, but, but you step up there in a the view. By the way, he told his lawyers, he says, I want you to buy as far as I can see with my eye, I want to own the land. They bought him 250,000 acres. 250,000 acres. And when you stood in his house, this guy said, you see that mountain range way over there? He owned all the land on this side. He owned all that. He had to pay up to 60 cents an acre, which was a lot of money for that land. I sat in that room, and I thought, here I am. From, in, from Florida, standing in this guy's private bedroom, on his balcony or whatever, people are touring the house so that they can keep it open and keep it repaired. What good is that doing Hearst? 
I wouldn't know hers. I don't know hers. He died. All the people that were in that house and visited that place all died. They got pictures of these people all over the place. I wouldn't even know them had it not been for my dad's mentioning their names a few times uh, that they were rang a bell with me. Uh, but they laid their treasures here on earth, but they didn't lay their treasures in heaven. Now look, folks, I don't think there's a sin with owning, but there's sure a sin with not giving it to God. There's sure a sin as a born-again Christian will not die under this whole world and saying, God, everything I have is yours. What do you want to do with it? And recognizing that there is no God before him. That you don't live for this stuff, you live for him. You don't work for this stuff, you work for him. Now the role of working should work. A man, the Bible says, doesn't the supplies. The Bible says a lot of good things. Man doesn't supply for his own, he's worse than an infidel, the Bible says. You should work. You should supply for your own. You should have food, clothing, shelter for your family. But you, if, if you love your family, you're going to teach them that you have to leave all this. And you can't keep it. And consequently, it doesn't really have value. What Jesus said I give you is eternal. I give you eternal life which is never ending. Now look, the Egyptians wanted that so bad, they built those pyramids to try to somehow somehow grasp eternal life, but they didn't have the authority or the power to have it. All the Peruvian uh, uh, temples that are down there, say over a thousand of them in Peru, all were trying to grasp eternal life. Jesus said, you can't have it that way. It has to be through me. I'm God's son who gave himself for your sins. If you'll trust me, I'll give you eternal life. And all these things. You know, I like what Jesus said. What does the prophet of man, if he gain the whole world, lose his own soul? Good question, amen? So this morning, why not decide as a born-again Christian, I'm going to die to all of this junk. I'm going to die to the flesh. I'm going to die to the world. I'm going to die to the false information, the devil. He's a liar and a father of it. He's the originator of fake news. I'm dying to all that. And I'm going to obey God's call. I'm going to obey God's will. I'm going to obey God's vision. And more than anything, I'm going to obey God's advice. I'm going to do what he asked me to do. Peace will fill your world. Satisfaction will be your portion. Joy will be your life. And this is just the beginning of it. I went out to visit Trent and the Crab Girls. Three kids that on their own, independently, have chosen Jesus. Out of their generation, a minority. But they've chosen Jesus. And you know one thing about all three of them? They're happy. I'm sorry to say that, Doc. They're happy without you, but they're happy without you. I, I hate to tell Troy and Andrea, but they already know this. Trent's happy without you. He told me, he said, I got over that homesick thing already. I said, glory to God, you're a success. He, he, you know, they just have joy. You, you ever been around a bunch of 18, 19, 20? They got dark eyes, stuff sticking through them, sticking out of them. They want to hurt themselves. They want to put, they want to mark themselves, hurt themselves. 
put stuff on themselves, threw themselves. It's got to be bad. I saw a real pretty girl with this ring in her nose. Now, no offense, man, but you got to blow your nose sometime. I wanted to ask her, how do you blow your nose? I didn't. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's coming. It's coming. I know it's coming. How do you blow your nose? You take a Q-tip up there and kind of do this. Hey, pretty girls have boogers too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hope that's not what you remember out of all that I've said. I hope that's not what you remember. I hope that's not. But, but it is true, nevertheless. I don't want to be like Hearst. I don't want to be like Howard Hughes. I don't want to be like Johnny Carson. I don't want to be like Elvis Presley. I don't want to be like Frank Sinatra. I don't want to be like Steve Jobs. And the list could go on and on and on. I don't want to be like them who, who live this life for themselves, who bypass Jesus, and eventually are going to stand before him someday and have to answer for their sin and go to a place called hell. But I also don't want to be the guy that stands at the beam of seat of Christ and all his works of life are judged and there's nothing left. And he has very little to nothing to give to Jesus. I don't want to be that one either. And I end with this. This is why what I'm speaking about this morning is why the old missionaries often pack their belongings to go overseas in coffins. They packed their belongings in coffins when they left for the field. Why? They understood what I'm talking about. They understood well that you must reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Father, help us this morning. Give us this. Enlighten us. Come to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why don't you do it right now? It's simple, really. Here's a couple of Bible verses that'll help you to understand. Probably the most well-known verse in all of Scripture is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse says, whosoever believeth. The whosoever is you. But the whosoever believes what? Number one, you need to understand that you are a sinner. God says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, you need to understand that nothing that you can do, getting baptized, belonging to a church, going to a church, donating money, while all good things, they will not satisfy a just God. God says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy he saved us. And number three, you need to understand that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day, and if you believe that, God promised in Romans 10:9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your prayer of confession could go like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner unworthy of your mercy, but ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. 
I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and resurrected the third day that I might be saved and have a new life. Save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you ask Jesus to save you, would you do me a favor? Let us know so that we can pray for you and rejoice with you. Our church phone is 239-947-1285. The website is www.gospelbaptistchurch.com or go to iTunes podcast at gospelbaptistchurch.com.